Now it's time for Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf, the number one relationship advice radio show in the U.S. Welcome to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and I'm happy to be with you again for today's show about surviving childhood sexual abuse. Did you know that it's been estimated that 20 to 40% of girls and 2 to 9% of boys are sexually abused by the time they reach 18? Well, if you or anyone you know has been abused, then stay with me for this very important show. And later in the show, I'll be answering the questions that have been submitted to me. The first one is man afraid of intimacy due to sexual molestation in childhood. And in this question, I'm helping a young man who was repeatedly raped by his sister when he was a child. And as a result, he is repulsed by women and thinks himself gay. And unable to come out of the closet due to the culture in which he lives, he's plagued with fear over how he's going to manage to get married and perform sexually with a woman. So stay with me to discover my recommendations for how he can heal and set himself free. The next question is teenage stepson, and here I'm helping out a stepmother who lost her cool when she walked in on her 14-year-old stepson being masturbated by a slightly older neighborhood girl. She threw the girl out, won't allow him to see her again, and now her stepson stun won't st say that three times fast. Her stepson won't talk to her. So stay with me to find out what she has to do to fix this mess. And the third question, husband wants divorce, never loved me 32 years later. I work with a 61-year-old woman who is heartsick over her husband's announcement that he's never loved her and wants a divorce so he can go out and find love. So stay tuned to find out how she can handle this bombshell. And then in the reading between the sheets question, um, this one is wondering why she's dead from the waist down. I'm helping out a young man whose beloved girlfriend's sex drive has suddenly dried up. And he says they're madly in love and can't figure out what's wrong. So stay with me to discover the reason why her sex drive has gone undercover. All right, so on to today's topic, surviving childhood sexual abuse. So 28 to 33% of women and 12 to 18% of men were victims of childhood or adolescent sexual abuse and are victims ongoing of sexual abuse. Sexual abuse that does not include touch and other types of sexual abuse are, of course, reported less often, which means this number of individuals who have been sexually abused in childhood may actually be greater than even the number I quoted. Also, it's important to know that sexual assault affects many lives, both directly and indirectly. It can span age, sexual orientation, religion, and gender, and affects people of all socioeconomic backgrounds and education levels. A study by the Centers for Disease Control found that one in five women are raped in their lifetime in the United States. That's almost 22 million women. And one in 71 men are raped in their lifetime, or approximately 1.6 million men in the United States. It is a common misconception that sexual assault and rape are mostly perpetrated by strangers. In fact, most survivors know their perpetrators in some way. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 
60% of survivors are assaulted by an intimate partner, relative, friend, or acquaintance. And this rate is even higher for women who have been raped or sexually assaulted in college. While sexual assault can occur at any point in your life, 79.6% of female rape victims were under the age of 25 when the incident occurred, and 42% had been raped before the age of 18. This puts young people at a disproportionately larger risk of sexual assault. Now, although, although sexual assault more commonly affects women, men are also affected, and it's estimated that one in four women and one in six men experience an unwanted sexual experience in their lives. And while these numbers may seem daunting or difficult to process, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network estimates that the rate of sexual assault has fallen by more than 60% since 1993. Childhood sexual abuse may hinder the development and growth of relationships, and survivor, survivors may experience difficulties with trust, fear of intimacy, difficulties with affection, fear of being different or weird, difficulty establishing interpersonal boundaries, passive behaviors, and getting involved in abusive relationships, sexualizing relationships, inappropriate seduction, compulsive sexual behavior, promiscuity, problems concerning desire, arousal, and orgasm, flashbacks, difficulties with touch, and sadistic masochistic tendencies. Now, just to define child sexual abuse, it's any sexual behavior directed toward a child by a person who has power over that child. Such behavior always involves a betrayal of the child's trust. Some forms of sexual abuse involve physical contact, and these include, include masturbation, intercourse, fondling, oral sex, and anal or vaginal penetration with fingers, the penis, or objects. Other types of sexual abuse, such as exhibitionism, leering, and sexual suggestiveness, do not involve physical contact, but they're still abuse. People who sexually abuse children do so in order to meet their own needs. Abusers do not have the child's best interest in mind. Abusers, again, as I said before, need not be strangers. They can be anyone in a position of power or trust, fathers, uncles, cousins, stepfathers, siblings, mothers, teachers, babysitters, neighbors, grandparents, peers, clergy, or even doctors. And again, how prevalent is child sexual abuse? 24 to 40 percent of girls and two to nine percent of boys are sexually abused by the time they reach 18. And these are probably conservative estimates since many incidents of sexual abuse are never reported. Now, there's some interesting research about child sexual abuse in Asian American communities. And interestingly, little is known about the prevalence of child sexual abuse in Asian American communities because Existing research overwhelmingly suggests that the reporting of sexual abuse of Asian American children is proportionately lower than those for other ethnic groups. This could mean that the prevalence of child sexual abuse is lower in Asian Americans or that Asian Americans are not as likely to report when child sexual abuse does happen. There was a research report by Rao and colleagues, and it suggests that Asian American children may respond differently than other ethnic groups. Unlike children from other groups, Asian Americans are more likely to express thoughts of suicide 
or attempt suicide and less likely to respond with anger or inappropriate sexual behaviors. Asian Americans also differ from other ethnic groups with respect to the response of the primary caretaker, usually the parent. And those same researchers, Rao et al., found that compared to caretakers from other ethnic groups, Asian American caretakers were least likely to report abuse to authorities and more likely to disbelieve the abuse and least likely to complete evaluation and treatment of the abuse victim. Asian American cultural values have been implicated to explain the low prevalence rates for reported child sexual abuse and the response patterns in Asian American families. Specifically, researchers have suggested that many Asian Americans fear a loss of face from others and tend to keep problems within the family. In addition, because Asian American families tend to be patriarchal, patriarchic. Reporting child sexual abuse when the perpetrator is the father can lead to significant disruptions in the family. So a lot of times people will ask me, well, how can I know if I was sexually abused? Well, first of all, if you remember being sexually violated as a child, trust your memories, even if what you're remembering seems too awful to be true. A child's brain doesn't make up memories of sexual violation. And at the same time, it's common for individuals who have been abused not to have clear memories. One way of coping with sexual abuse is to repress or forget that it ever happened. Even in the absence of conscious memories, certain experiences can trigger intense feelings of fear, nausea, and despair. And some of these triggers include specific sounds, smells, tastes, words, and facial expressions. You know, I'll, I never forget, will forget a patient of mine who was sexually violated by a child pornography ring in her neighborhood. And her sister had, as well as she, they both had repressed the memories, but then when her sister was about to give birth to her child, the memories came flooding back. At, at that point, my patient still didn't have memories, but then several months later, she smelled something and suddenly, she remembered the scent of ether that was put over her nose when they would put her out before using her in these kitty porn videos. So even if your memories are repressed, you may just have like fleeting suspicions or fleeting memories that come up or fleeting feelings. Trust them. Whether or not you have specific memories, if you suspect that you were sexually abused, then you probably were. And often the first step in remembering involves having a hunch or a suspicion that some type of violation occurred and pay attention to that feeling. People who suspect that they were sexually abused generally discover that this has been the case. Now, if it happened back then, many people say, well, why do I have to even deal with it now? So there are many factors that make it impossible for children to receive the help that they needed at the time of the abuse. And unfortunately, many children who do seek support are met with reactions like disbelief, lack of concern, and even blame. And despite efforts to seek help, the abuse may continue or even get worse. There are many understandable reasons why children's 
children do not seek help at the time of the abuse, because also abusers often scare children by threatening to retaliate or by insinuating that the child will not be believed. And the abuser may also confuse the child by implying that the abuse is the child's fault. Comments like, you asked for it, you were all over me, and I know you enjoyed it, are often used to blame and to silence the child. Sexual abuse of a child can never be the child's fault. And for whatever reason, if the abuse is not dealt with at the time, its damaging effects will still be present years later. It's like we just bury our injury in a very shallow grave. You know, I'll also never forget a patient who came to me who had been abused and she was riddled with guilt and shame. She never talked to anybody because she felt so guilty and ashamed. And finally, I realized this was a big illumination for me that the body is wired to receive sexual pleasure and our physiology will often react with pleasure even when we're being violated. And when I asked her if this was the case, she said yes. And that's why she felt guilty because if we feel pleasure, then we assume we asked for the pleasure and we sought it out. And that's not the case. Men can be raped and even have an orgasm and feel you know pleasure and have complete sexual release but still they were raped because the physiology is made for pleasure so now what are the effects of child sexual abuse and there are many ways that people experience the harm that results from having been sexually abused so the initial effects of sexual assault and rape obviously are physical, bruising, bleeding, vaginal or anal, difficulty uh, walking, soreness, broken or dislocated bones, STDs, pregnancy, and 5% of rape cases actually result in pregnancy. After a traumatic experience like rape or a sexual assault, it's common for a survivor to feel shaken or unlike him or herself. That's kind of like a depersonalization that happens. It's a defense mechanism, like you're out of your body. A lot of people who are sexually violated will often describe that they're literally out of their bodies watching the event happen to themselves. It's a complex form of trauma that breaches the physical, mental, and spiritual trust of a person against his or her will. And this can affect uh, a person's mentality, especially during the young years when the brain is highly elastic during its formation. Now, another common side effect of sexual violation is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a mental health condition. It's triggered by a physical, physically terrifying event or an abusive event. Common symptoms associated with PTSD are flashbacks, nightmares, severe anxiety, uncontrollable thoughts about the event, and due to high levels of stress created by the abuse, a person can experience chronic fatigue, shortness of breath, muscle tension, involuntary shaking, changes in eating and sleeping patterns, and even sexual dysfunction. And in women, issues with the menstrual cycle or fertility are also common. And many people who go through traumatic events events have difficulty adjusting and coping for a while. But with time and support, um, you can get better. And also the use of trans electrotransdermal magnesium is essential. You, you, if you haven't already read my book, if you think you don't have PTSD, think again. I outline all the research proving that all it takes is one accident, one illness, or one stress for our bodies to rapidly excrete magnesium. That's what we do in the face of stress. And the rapid loss of magnesium is synonymous 
with the triggering of PTSD. And the research also shows replenishing with magnesium rapidly reverses the biochemical underpinnings of PTSD and reverses PTSD. Now, another side effect of sexual assault is depression. And depression goes beyond the common feelings of temporary sadness. Symptoms of depression are like prolonged sadness, feelings of hopelessness, unexplained crying, changes in appetite with significant weight loss or gain, loss of energy or loss of interest and pleasure in activity, activities previously enjoyed. It can affect your outlook and that can lead to feelings of hopelessness. And this in turn can impact your thought process and ability to make decisions. In extreme cases of depression, you may even feel suicidal or even attempt suicide. And if you or someone you know is feeling suicidal, refer that person to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Now, I mentioned a second ago about dissociation. That usually refers to feeling like you've checked out and you're not present. And in some instances of dissociation, people may find themselves daydreaming. But in situations where dissociation is chronic and more complex, it may appear, impair an ab individual's ability to function in the real world, like not being able to focus on work-related duties or not being able to concentrate on schoolwork. And some survivor, survivors may engage in substance abuse uh, of drugs or alcohol to help them cope with the overwhelming feelings because the survivor's control and sense of safety and security have been taken away by the perpetrator. Engaging in these self-injurious behaviors can also bring a sense of control over a person's environment and serve as a release of tension. Although not always performed with suicidal intent, substance abuse can result in severe harm or death. And though these coping strategies may seem to bring immediate relief, that feeling is only temporary and these behaviors lead to more challenges in the future. So long-term effects, you wanna ask yourself the following questions. Has your self-esteem suffered? Do you often feel that you're not a worthwhile person? Do you feel bad, dirty, or ashamed of yourself? Do you have a hard time nurturing yourself? Do you feel that you have to be perfect? That's a way of like compensating for how bad you feel about yourself. Do you feel ang anger and a sense of blame, shock, numbness, loss of control, disorientation, helplessness, vulnerability, fear, self-blame or guilt for allowing the crime to happen? Do you have trouble knowing how you feel? Have you worried that you're going crazy? Is it hard for you to do, differentiate between various feelings? Do you experience a very narrow range of feelings? Are you afraid of your feelings? Do they seem out of control? In your body, do you always feel present in your body? Or are there times when it feels as if you've left your body? Do you have a restricted range of feelings in your body? Do you find it difficult to be aware of what your body is telling you? Do you have a hard time loving and accepting your body? Do you have any physical illnesses that you think could be related to past sexual abuse? Have you ever intentionally hurt yourself or abused your body? And regarding intimacy, do you find it difficult to trust others? Are you afraid of people? Do you feel alienated or lonely? Do you have trouble making a commitment? Do you panic when people get too close? Do you expect people to leave you? Have you ever been involved with someone who reminds you of your abuser or someone you know is not good for you? And 
in terms of your sexual response and functioning, do you try to use sex to meet needs that aren't sexual? Do you ever feel exploited sexually or use sexuality in a way that exploits others? Are you able to stay present when making love? Do you go through sex feeling numb or in a panic? Do you find yourself avoiding sex or pursuing sex you really don't want? Do you experience flashbacks during sex? So I've just given you an overview to let you know, to help yourself know whether you are experiencing experiencing long-term aftershocks of sexual abuse and violation. When we come back from the break, I'm going to talk about how to heal from sexual abuse. Be back in a moment. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of terrestrial radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. Call 877-941-4731. That's 877-941-4731. Again, 877-941-4731. Imagine, this is your money, and someone wants to take it from you. Who is it? The IRS. Guess what? They want your money, and they can take it, all of it if they want. So what do you do? You fight back by letting our team of experts work it out with the IRS so you can keep your money. Call right now and learn for free how we can help you put it back in your pocket. Five minutes of your time can save you thousands of dollars. So please call right now. Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call, because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight, guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love. 
and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Hello again and welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. We're talking about surviving childhood sexual abuse. And as I promised before the break, I'm going to talk with you now about how to heal. So I want to remind you that the healing process takes time, safety, and attention to self-care. You want to find small activities that bring you peace or joy, like practicing meditation once a day, painting or cooking can make a world of difference. And just as each person will react to a traumatic event differently, each person will heal according to his or her own methods and time. And know that no one's alone in his or her healing process. There are resources for those of you who want to seek the healing and I'm going to tell you a very uh, uplifting story about a former patient of mine whose father was a minister who raped him throughout childhood, and he repressed the memory. And suddenly, one day as an adult, the memories came flooding back. He was so overwhelmed, and he was in therapy at the time with someone else, and the therapist um, asked him to write a letter to all of his siblings and tell everyone what happened and confront his father. And the upshot of the whole thing was everybody rallied around his father, the abuser, and he was ousted from the family. So here he's living with the abuse, and he's ousted from the family. And I wanted to do a technique with him that I've developed that was very effective in which we do a dialogue with the abuser. It's very similar to the dialoguing that I do with our loved ones in spirit, the same kind of process. But in the dialoguing with his abuser on an energetic level, he's kept resisting and he said, well, how's it going to help? The abuse is done. I can't change what happened to me. And I said, believe me, the dialoguing will make a difference because when you've been victimized, you're stuck with all the hurt and the fear and the anger and the pain, and it's never come out. And the act of saying it out loud, not journaling, out loud with me as witness to support you and comfort you changes the neuro associations in your brain. And so you don't feel anymore like a muzzled victim who never had your day in court. So we do the role play. And in the experience, I have him imagine me coming to him. This is the corrective experience. And I put a, a towel over him and he wasn't alone. He came out of the experience and he said, you're not going to believe it, but I feel different. I don't feel like a victim anymore. I don't feel alone in my pain. And he went on to fully, fully heal. So I just want you to know that you can heal. And, uh, if you wish for me to help you, I'm here for you as well. And so lots of people will say, will I ever feel better? And yes, you will. 
you need to allow yourself to be held and supported and be understood and to be able to voice the feelings that you suppressed, especially if you were very young, the feelings never came out. Um, and remember also what I said in the first segment, we all need to use the electrotransdermal magnesium, E-L-E-K-T-R-A, magnesium.com.au. I don't sell it, not a distributor, not an affiliate. I don't make commissions, but it is my mission to let everybody know that all of us have some degree of PTSD, not just people who've been sexually violated, but all of us, because stress just depletes us of magnesium. And the transdermal magnesium bypasses digestion for immediate absorption into the bloodstream. Okay, so a couple little tweets for you to just drive home the messages that I've given you. You can get past the wounds of the past. Never feel that you can't heal. And you can go from emotional reeling to emotional healing. The secret to healing from abuse is to allow your anger to come loose. Believe and you will achieve. All right, my darlings, now let's get on to the questions. First question, I stumbled upon your website while searching for an answer to my condition. I am a 25-year-old male virgin, and I have had brief affairs in the past, but none of them led to any physical contact. I haven't even kissed, to be exact. My primary problem is that I'm afraid of having intercourse and am repulsed by even thinking about it. My fear stems, I believe, from my childhood experiences, which were repulsive for me. When I was very young, maybe when I was between five to seven years old, I was the victim of forced incest by my own elder sister for a few years, and they finally stopped when I was about nine or 10. My sister has always been very sexually active since her childhood, and she did not spare me when she found an easy way to get off using my body. Naturally, in her company, I became aware of all matters sexual even before the sexual molestations began. Her continued attacks made me hate the female anatomy and feel afraid of having intercourse. I found boys, men kinder as I knew I would not be sexually harassed by them. Disliking would not have mattered had I not become involved in a sexual liaison with another boy when I was around 12. Since then, I have liked and lusted the male form, though I haven't been sexually active for the last nine years. I never had any intercourse with him, of course, being too young. This lasted for four years, after which our paths separated. I was 15 then. It's not that I am a misogynist. I like and admire good-looking girls, but I do not feel any sexual tension while watching them. I guess my homosexual experiences and lack of proper heterosexual experience is responsible for that. I'm quickly approaching marriageable age, and I am under severe stress and fear of failing to maintain a heterosexual relationship. I should add that my family is terribly conservative, and no one knows I am gay. Can I maintain a heterosexual relationship, become acclimatized to the female gender and derive pleasure from it? Being gay is not an option for me at all, and I would like to have a family. It's just I can't imagine having sex. I will probably not even get an erection. Should I try having sex with a prostitute first to become sure of myself? Please help. I cannot embarrass myself and my parents who are very good people. Well, I am just very sorry to hear about your struggles and 
childhood sexual abuse has been correlated with higher levels of depression, guilt, shame, self-blame, eating disorders, somatic concerns, anxiety, dissociative patterns, repression, denial, sexual problems, and relationship problems. And when when we have um, trauma in the body, it short circuits your body and your mind. And that short circuiting stays in your body long after the violence ends. And it lives on in your mind, your body, and your spirit in a variety of ways. Many people who go through traumatic events find it can take much time to readjust and cope after the event. And the residual mental, physical, and spiritual effects of the assault and the rape can permeate your life and make it difficult to heal. And for some people, the aftershocks never wear off. And with time um, and healing and developing, you know, a positive, you know, therapeutic support relationship, the reactions can become less severe. And for you, um, I hear that you say living a gay lifestyle is not an option for you because of the culture in which you live. And I want you to consider the possibility that you may not be gay and that you just turn to men as a refuge from women who trigger memories of your sister's abuse. Because, um, the research shows us that a large number of women who have sexually been sexually abused become lesbians. So it's very possible that you have adopted a similar coping skill by turning to men, uh, and that has hindered your ability to develop relationships, including sexual relationships with women. Now, I know you asked how you can get an erection with a woman, and should you try to bite the bullet and force yourself to perform with a prostitute? And that's like jumping into the deep den, deep end of the pool and flooding yourself. So before you get, go that route, take a step back and consider what you actually need. You need to heal. And once you heal, you won't really need to grit your teeth and think of England when you have sex. When you're healed, you likely will not feel repulsed by women, nor will you feel afraid of being intimate. So I think the focus should be on how you can heal. And it's true that there's no systematized treatment method for survivals of sexual abuse, but there is a lot of research about works, what works best, and that is to externalize the feelings you have about the abuse to get them out. Most abused people do not externalize their feelings, which means putting the anger outside of yourself. And um, that means you have to have the courage to feel the anger toward your sister and even your parents who didn't protect you. And it means properly attributing responsibility. Establishing your own sense of control and empowerment is also part of your healing. It's vital to process, uncover, and describe your anger because anger helps you feel empowered, helps you establish boundaries, helps you define your rights and needs, helps you find productive actions and behavior and promote self-efficacy and power. So in the the process of finding your anger, you want to reestablish supremacy over your sister. You want to be able to tell her how furious you are at her, that she misused her power over you. 
And it's, it's going to be good for you to make the link between your sexual symptoms, your revulsion, and the past sexual abuse. And once you're clear on the link, it's easier to break the link. So part of your healing is going to have to include establishing an intimate relationship in which your partner supports you, knows about your past, and supports you in your healing. A loving partner will encourage feelings of safety and reconnection, will help you adjust your sexual attitudes, help you gain a more positive sexual self-concept, feel more positive about women's bodies, learn how to cope with negative reactions to touch and develop skills to positively experience touch and sexual intimacy, help you learn to integrate communication, choice, trust, respect, and equality in your intimate relationship, and also assist you to establish physical and emotional safety and resolve distressing memories that come up when you have sex with a woman and build trust again. So here's where a sex surrogate could help you because you could practice being intimate with a trained surrogate before you form a relationship with a woman. And a sex surrogate is not the same thing as a prostitute because sex surrogates are really trained to do therapy, sex therapy. So beyond all these mainstream approaches, you also might consider trying some of the new energy medicine techniques that are designed to literally reprogram your brain and free you from the chains of past trauma. These therapies include body talk, NET, EFT. There's also a video that, you know, many videos you can find on YouTube that show you how to do the EFT, which is the emotional freedom technique on yourself. And the EFT technique has helped many people free themselves from sexual abuse, trauma after effects. But I also want you to remember the necessity to replenish your, your cells with transdermal magnesium. What is so amazing is that when our cells are depleted of magnesium, we can never get past trauma, including sexual abuse trauma, because it's like we stay in the loop, which is a biochemical imbalance. And we need magnesium to come out of that biochemical imbalance loop. Magnesium basically reboots our electromagnetic system and makes it function properly. And we are an electromagnetic machine. And once we get into the loop of an electromagnetic imbalance, we don't get out of it. Even the talking therapy alone is not enough to get out of it. We also have to fix our physiology. Electromagnesium dot com dot au is your source. Oh, and I forgot to say before, because I send so many patients and TV and radio audiences their way, um, as a special gift to you, if you use the code doctor.jamie, they will give you a discount. And if you reach the equivalent of about, I think it's a hundred US dollars, shipping is free all the way from Australia. I'd like to hear from you. After you employ everything that I've suggested, I want to hear from you because I have great confidence that you will be able to recover from the trauma and not have to seek the refuge of being with a man, which may not be your natural predisposition. It's more like a trauma-based choice. Okay? Keep me posted. And now what we're going to do is we're going to go to take a break. When we come back from the break, I'll answer another question back in a moment. 
Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of terrestrial radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. Call 877-941-4731. That's 877-941-4731. Again, 877-941-4731. Imagine, this is your money, and someone wants to take it from you. Who is it? The IRS. Guess what? They want your money, and they can take it, all of it if they want. So what do you do? You fight back by letting our team of experts work it out with the IRS so you can keep your money. Call right now and learn for free how we can help you put it back in your pocket. Five minutes of your time can save you thousands of dollars. So please call right now. Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call, because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight, guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Hello and welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf and this is the time in the show when I'm answering your questions. Next question. Hi, I have a stepson who lives with me and he's 14 years old. I have to admit that my relationship is not the greatest now with him. 
I have been his stepmother for most of his life, but lately he's been getting really out of control. My husband is a truck driver and is away, and so most of the time it's just the two of us. The neighbor girl has been coming over after school every day, and it's really becoming a problem lately, not because she's coming over, but that they go into his room and close the door. So casually, I come in every so often to make keep an eye on them because she's a couple of years older, and I wouldn't put it past her to take advantage. I came in, and I'll spare the graphics. She had her hands somewhere inappropriate, so I sent her home. My stepson wouldn't talk to me after that. His only response was, we weren't even doing anything. But I told him she's not allowed over anymore. Do you think that was overdoing it? Okay, so I understand that you were shocked by what was going on with the neighbor girl. The most important thing is choosing a course of action that supports your relationship with your stepson. Tearing his friend from him and forbidding him from seeing her as you have seen has driven a wedge between you and him. Forbidding contact isn't the ideal way to teach him about his sexuality. Besides, when you forbid a teenager from doing something, he's going to want to do it all the more just to rebel against your authority. So let's face it, his body belongs to him. And as much as you want to control him, you can't. He can always find a way to be with this girl or someone else if he wants to. Instead of punishing him, talk to him. Discuss sex. Tell him that it's a divine gift to be shared with someone that you love. You can talk about the fact that the drive is strong at his age, which makes it easy to fall into casual sexual encounters. But the ideal is to bring our sexuality into a union of heart, mind, and soul. Masturbation is a good way to handle one's desire, no pun intended, until the right partner comes along. And if you speak with him the way I said, your relationship will be repaired and he will have a much better understanding about his own sexuality. So the idea is to let him make the decision about what's best for him. Okay. Next question. It's called Husband Wants Divorce, Never Loved Me 32 Years Later. Hi, I've read many other posts, but none relates directly to my problem as my husband insists he never had that spark for me. My husband and I have been together 32 years, 27 years married. It's been far from perfect since we come from different backgrounds and have disagreed more times than not. The bottom line is that he announced that he wants a divorce to find romantic love, a love like I have for him. He insists that he never loved me and in the beginning married me out of convenience and because I wanted to get married. I wanted to, but told him I would stay with him anyway. He already had a son from a previous fling and didn't really want any kids. I said I would like a child, so he said okay, and one month later we were pregnant. We tried for a second, and after two miscarriages in between, we had our second son. Our kids have been great for both of us. However, back in 2001, he left me and got an apartment for about a month and then moved back. The second time he left um, was six years after that, getting an apartment, and he began dating someone local and also contacting a Ukrainian woman he found on a website. He also sent a another woman flowers. He said he came back because the boys needed him. Now flashed Flash forward to today, this almost 60-year-old man, and I'm 61, tells me he wants a divorce. He says it would be much easier if he loved me since we have a great relationship and now shall now share common interests, get along well, and have a good sex life. But he says he is a risk taker and must search for romantic love. And don't worry, since he'll take care of me financially. Um, we lost our house and I lost my job. We're both still at home together, sleep together, and do activities together. I want to save this marriage. What can I do? And thank you so much for all that you do. Wow. 
I am really so, so heartbroken to hear your story. It's just so hurtful to be told that he never loved you. And I have to wonder why he's telling you this now. Is it possible that he's only just saying this to hurt you? Is it possible that he's angry with you? Does he resent you for roping him into marriage? Does he have a passive aggressive personality? Is he a people pleaser? And is he punishing you for making him marry you? You've given me no reason to think this, but I'm lifting up every rock. He also says he's a risk taker. So why has he suddenly become a risk taker at the age of 60? And I'm thinking he may be experiencing a belated midlife crisis. That's the time when life, when men start taking risks in an attempt to recapture their youth and beat back death. So now what can you do? Well, first explore the anger question. Linked to that is the question about whether he's a people pleaser. Many people with this problem grow to feel victimized and angry. And if that line of inquiry is a dead end, then let's consider the midlife crisis angle. If he's in a midlife crisis, he should get over it. I'll never forget a woman I know whose husband went nuts, left home, dated a young girl, the whole nine. And then one day he came back home with his tail between his legs, asking if she'd take him back. And he said that the young girl bored him and he missed his wife. So how you handle a midlife crisis comes down to what you're comfortable doing. Are you comfortable telling him that he can stay home and play at being young until it's out of his system? It's possible that we're dealing now with a convergence also of more than one factor. Perhaps he was always dependent. He married you to please you. Perhaps he didn't love you passionately. Now his midlife crisis is pushing him to go for the gusto and find passionate romantic love before it's too late. You might tell him that in the end, if he's lucky, he'll end up with what you both have now, a lovely, companionable relationship that includes sex. He could break up your marriage, go after the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and maybe he'll have a period of intense passion. But then what? Ultimately, he'll end up with what you both have now, if he's lucky enough to find what you have. Well, I've shot all my flares, and I am so rooting for him to come to his senses. Please keep in touch with me and let me know what happens next. Okay, now let's do the reading between the sheets. I'm a 25-year-old educated male. My girlfriend is a gorgeous 22-year-old. We are madly in love and know that we will be spending the remainder of our lives together. We're generally very happy with our lives and our relationship. We complement each other in every way. We've been together for 19 months. Initially, her sex drive was very high, and there was much experimentation and exploration of each other's sexuality. She can generally orgasm within a few short minutes, and she can sometimes orgasm 10 times during a 20-minute lovemaking session. As time went on, and as the novelties of the relationship wore off, ending of the honeymoon period, we became aware of what specifically will turn the other on, and we stuck to that same sexual routine for the next 10 to 12-month stage of our relationship. The last six months, her desire for sex progressively declined, yet our romance and love maintained its strong position. We would have had sex maybe six times in the last two months. Half of those two months were spent on holidays, have a wonderful time, and, and we were connected. Since she is clearly unhappy about this, we have discussed strategies to overcome this, but they don't seem to work, and the same justification kept coming up. This justification was often to do with the time hasn't been right, etc. Both of us know that this is a simple excuse. She's never been into masturbation. She takes the OCP. She The OCP. I don't know what that is. She also 
of over-the-counter pill. She also does not exhibit signs of normal menstruation. Her body experiences the natural menstrual cycle, both hormonally and psychologically, but she doesn't bleed. She's had this assessed by a team of obstetrician gynecologists, and they she, they explain that she's a, one of the lucky few people that have this presentation. presentation. Her fertility is unaffected. She doesn't take any other medications uses small amounts of marijuana weekly. She exper experiments with other drugs infrequently. She's never had such a significant loss of sexual desire. She's been sexually normal in her previous rela relationships. And I've asked if her loss of desire has anything to do with dissatisfaction with our sex style, and she denies this idea. We have a trusting and loving relationship, so I wouldn't suspect that she's telling me lies pertaining to a potential dissatisfaction with me. What could this be? How might I approach this? I believe... I believe you could have the answer to my question. Well, I think that I do have the answer to your mystery. You mentioned that her sex drive abruptly stopped, and I'm betting that it's the birth control pill that is affecting her. And I bet that she wasn't on the pill when you began your relationship. And if you're like many couples, once you become exclusive, uh, then you toss the condoms in favor of birth control pills. And think about what the pill does. It creates an unnatural hormonal state by stopping ovulation. Ovulation is linked to desire. Ovulation is linked to the biological urge to have sex in order to get pregnant. Her body isn't receiving the right signals. If you read the insert that accompanies the oral contraceptives, it says the pill can cause side effects that include weight gain, breast tenderness, nausea, dizziness, and ta-da, loss of libido. 30% of American women suffer from diminished sexual desire, and some experts as well as non-experts will tell you that the pill is often to blame. Studies have linked oral contraceptives to decreased levels of androgens, the class of hormones, including testosterone, thought to drive both male and female sexuality. And birth control pills also alter a woman's natural estradiol fluctuations, the group of hormones that include estrogen, and which many OBGYNs consider the main source of female libido. So when you're on the pill, your hormonal balance changes and consequently your desire for sex will change too. I would have her stop the pill right away and use a barrier method like the diaphragm or um, even the cervical cap. I'm banking on the fact that she will be raring to go once those synthetic hormones are sent packing. And I think you're going to be writing me soon and saying, all is not quiet on the Western front. So that's all I have for you today. I will see you in two weeks on Ask Dr. Love. You've been listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. Sign up for Dr. Jamie's newsletter at askdrlove.com and receive her meditation audio that will guide you to open your heart and chill out during these stressful times. Thank you.